0: everybody and welcome back. I am the Bull and this is See the Bull Ski, the podcast where I talk about leadership, followership, resiliency, wellness, and occasionally other topics. I am back after my little trip to Vegas. It was a nice little break to think about some topics and today's topic actually comes from a former co-worker of mine and he is currently overseas and made a recommendation so I figured I'd take a swing at it. Have you ever had a situation at work when a decision's been made or maybe during a meeting, you know, there's a topic being discussed and you're just sitting there listening internally going, what is going on? None of this makes any sense. Or maybe you've had just a day-to-day conversation or a debate or an argument with somebody and the person you're talking to isn't making any sense, but you didn't know how to tell them or you didn't know how to handle it. I think these are all situations we all deal with at some point. But maybe you didn't know that there's actually a term for poor arguments and there's also ways to deal with them, at least to an extent. From a leadership perspective, you know, you got to appreciate and respect that the value of your arguments comes from your ability to logically support them versus just relying on your position or your authority to justify the decision. For some leaders, this is a forgotten point or it's neglected and they believe that by either acknowledging that they don't know something or that they don't have a good reason for their decision, that they'll be seen as incompetent. And so they stick to their guns, not realizing that instead of being seen as like steadfast or confident, they're actually being seen as incompetent because they either can't see the logic against them or they refuse to accept it or because they can't present something logical, other people pick up on it. You know, little reminder for returned listeners and a heads up for new listeners. Your rank, position, authority, does not make you inherently right and at the same time from a follower perspective your lack of experience your lower age lower position or rank or your lack of authority does not make you inherently wrong and when situations like this occur you've probably entered the world of logical fallacies now maybe you've heard this term and maybe you haven't or Maybe you've heard the term, but you don't really know exactly what they are. So today I'm going to go over some of the more common logical fallacies and hopefully provide some clarity and explanations along with ways to deal with them. Maybe you deal with them with others. Maybe you deal with them with yourself. You know, all of us are susceptible to falling for, uh, to falling for them. So let's get into it. First, we got to define what a logical fallacy is a logical is Uh, They are descriptive or false arguments that seem stronger than they actually are due to psychological persuasion, but they are proven wrong with reasoning and examination. Now there are dozens of logical fallacies and it would take forever to go over them all. So I'm just going to go over 12 of the more common day-to-day fallacies that you're more likely to see. Uh, There are more than I'm going to do, but these are just 12 of the ones that I think are the most common. Up first, Is the straw man fallacy. This is when someone misrepresents or they oversimplify an argument to make it seem inconsequential or easier to attack. Uh, This is what they call an informal fallacy and it often happens when someone doesn't understand your argument as well as you or vice versa. Maybe you don't understand their argument as well as they do. So to compensate for the lack of understanding, you oversimplify the pieces that you do understand and attack that part or if this is being used against you they oversimplify the pieces that they understand and attack that part Uh, the lack of understanding the whole picture really derails the entire problem solving and conversation because the information is being taken out of context thus it draws attention away from the important information now sometimes this will happen due to lack of awareness or ignorance but when one party refuses to acknowledge their lack of intel or understanding and they just hold on to their ignorance either from spite or because of their ego then nothing's going to get accomplished a really simple example of this fallacy is like if one person says i like trucks more than cars and another person replies well then you must hate the environment you see how like it's a simple example but it's kind of a silly statement right the counter statement makes no sense And it takes the original statement totally out of context. And this often happens because of the internal perspective of the second person that and what they apply to the original statement. In the work center, if you find yourself in a straw man situations, uh, sometimes it's best to just leave it alone and walk away. But in circumstances where you can't walk away, the best approach is to point out its use. You want to do it respectfully and then ask the other person to explain how what you said correlates to their interpretation. What you don't want to do is attack the person, become defensive or become aggressive. And that's kind of a common theme throughout most of the logical fallacies. Number two, the bandwagon fallacy. This is a very common fallacy and is based on the idea that just because a lot of people either do or appear to believe something is true, then that automatically must be true popularity, popularity, excuse me, does not validate a proposition automatically. This fallacy can easily be tied to groupthink or the, you know, we can't all be wrong mentality. And what I love about this fallacy from my own experience is that often a proposition will be presented in a group and then like a leader will ask if the room agrees and most of the room does for one reason or another. And those that disagree are ignored because, well, the rest of the room thinks it's a good idea, so it must be right. Again, popularity is not validity. The way to get around this fa- fallacy is to ask upfront if popularity is relevant to the decision process. Like many of the fallacies, you want to slow down the conversation on, and focus in on what is the intent of the conversation and listen for the presentation of popularity as a justification. There are some instances where popularity is a factor that has to be you know, kind of considered, but not often and not always or rather not always and not often. I've had this one used against me plenty of times and when it happens, my usual response is to ask the person using it to explain why or how the popularity matters and follow up with stating why popularity doesn't matter if if that's my position. You know, once that factor is decided, then you can move forward together. And that's a big thing is a lot of times when we're talking about arguments and debates, you have two opposing views often trying to get to the same conclusion, but they're getting there in different pathways. So what you got to do is level the playing field and get on the same foot rather than make the discussion about how we're against each other and begin to draw on, you know, what is the goal for both of us and how can we work together to be there? Sorry, just want to throw that in. Number three, the appeal to authority fallacy, and this is a personal favorite. Uh, while leaders and bosses managers or people in charge can often be selected because of their knowledge this in no way makes them inherently right, right i'm sorry to say this but this fallacy has been very prevalent in my career i've heard things like i don't have enough rank or i'm too young to have an opinion which is another fallacy on top of the appeal to authority but you know now appealing to authority is not automatically a fallacy but when you do it automatically or you do it strictly because someone is in charge, despite the fact that they may be deciding on something outside their expertise, then you might have a problem. One way I've seen this is when someone is in charge decides without understanding or appreciating the logistics or impact of the decision and what it will have on those that have to execute the decision. Or put another way, only doing something because someone with authority says to do it without challenging the decision. Right, just allowing a poor decision to go unchecked because someone higher up wants it a certain way. This is a bad idea systemically and it ruins any chance for innovation or real problem solving. This can be particularly problematic in a few ways. For one thing, you're allowing too much pressure to be on one deciding person which can cause burnout. Secondly, if you are an authority that expects blind obedience and subservience, then you're kind of creating a toxic environment that will never be able to grow and ends up stagnating and will ultimately fail. This fallacy can be really tough to deal with, but my best advice is to ask for more explanation of why the decision is what it is. This is a weird one because the decision might be totally valid, but if you don't understand it, then how are you going to know that? So you got to go into it thinking the leader may know something that you don't and ask for that mentorship. Right? If something doesn't make sense, is it that you have a lack of understanding? Was it a poor argument? Did the other person not explain it well? Whatever it is. Once you understand, try to make it a conversation and like a mentorship approach or like a partnership approach. Like you, you want them to partner with you or mentor you and answer your questions and then present your side and ask why their decision is better than yours. This is one of those situations though where you may have a toxic leader and you need to let it go unless it is illegal, unethical, immoral, or it's dangerous. In extreme situations, you may need to talk to like an advocate or one of the resources you have or, you know, somebody with some more firepower to get some support for your concerns. Number four, the false dilemma fallacy. All right, the name kind of gives it away, but this is misrepresenting a complex situation using only like one, two or three sides, right? Few things are black or white. Few situations need to be my way or the highway. But that's what this fallacy is kind of built on. Uh, The biggest problem with this fallacy is that it puts a situation in extreme perspectives and it ignores any chance at compromise. Now, one of the fallacies later on talks about compromise and you just got to keep in mind, there are times when compromise is appropriate and there's times when you can't, right? Again, nothing is black and white. So let's say that you're in a meeting and someone says that we either go with a single option presented or a project will fail. Is it possible this extreme situation is true? Maybe, but I kind of doubt it, and presenting the situation in this way puts a perimeter around the group's ability to think critically and come up with a viable solution. I've seen this one in effect when a leader comes to a conclusion and would not allow for any conversations to occur you know, that contradicted it, but they couldn't explain why it had to be one way or the other. In my opinion of that person, uh, this came about because the leader had to be the one to come up with the solution. So they created an environment and an argument that wouldn't entertain any secondary input. As I already said, this fallacy prevents innovation or reduces the collective input to find a better solution because no one person can see and think of everything. Ego just gets in the way sometimes. And to counter this fallacy, learn to look for, learn to look for, excuse me, those either-or arguments. And if you do come across those, ask the presenter who's giving the either-or argument. Are those really the only two options? And have them explain why no other options could be presented or would be appropriate. Number five, the hasty generalization. This is coming to a big conclusion based off of inadequate info or basically jumping to conclusions. Uh, The first problem here is that it doesn't have all the evidence and secondly, it overlooks any potential counter arguments. The biggest or the basic problem with this fallacy is that it involves making a claim based on too little evidence. Uh, You can't take a singular instance and apply it to every situation, right? What is really interesting about this fallacy is that hasty generalizations aren't always false. Or I'm sorry, hasty generalizations are always false. I got tongue tied. That's really interesting, right? Because it makes it sound like that argument itself is a fallacy. Uh, making assumptions about a situation based off of one or two experiences does not make the generalization correct. There are underlying conditions that played a part to those situations that aren't being accounted for. This is a part of why discrimination is wrong and is a problem and why discrimination is a fallacy. You know, granted discrimination is an extreme but it, it does apply. Uh, A more common example would be saying that like one time you trusted a new employee with a task and they either failed to do it or they did it wrong. So all new employees are useless. Obviously this is chock full of problems and it's not accurate at all. Number six. Now this is the reverse of a hasty generalization and this is called the slothful induction fallacy. Uh, It can also be called the appeal to coincidence. This is when there is enough information for a particular outcome, but instead of acknowledging that information slash conclusion, the outcome is treated like a coincidence. You can see this a lot in businesses and work centers. Um, I, I can think of one time where an authority figure was given constant feedback about their performance. And even when, you know, even this person's supervisor was informed because of how things were getting, but instead of holding the person accountable, the issues were all chucked up to, you know, unfortunate, unpreventable, unrelated causes and it had nothing to do with his leadership. And I think this fallacy has big implications both towards leadership and for leadership. When there is sufficient evidence that something is wrong, you've gotta be willing to act on that information. I think this fallacy is the core behind the accountability issues that are in a lot of work centers, without exception. I have never worked in an area with issues where the problems weren't known, but instead of the problems you know, being dealt with, they were attributed to things that had nothing to do with the problem or, you know, they were attached to some intangible unknown that couldn't even be identified and therefore couldn't be fixed. This is another fallacy that I recommend slowing down the conversation and explaining all of the information and facts. Sometimes you may have the info and fail to realize that the other person doesn't know what you know, kind of like you don't always know what they know. So to bridge that gap you have to come together and figure out where that divide in information is. Number seven, the correlation causation fallacy. You've probably heard the correlation does not equal causation and that is what this is essentially talking about. Just because two things occur at the same time does not mean that they are correlated or related. Sadly, this one tends to happen in today's fast-paced world when people want answers right now And any answer will do. This creates additional issues because it can misrepresent situations, problems, causes, and result in blaming and a total degradation in communication because people end up turtling up just to protect themselves. Or kind of put it in another way, uh, it can lead to what's known as like headhunting, but not the good kind of headhunting. Like we're looking for the right person. I'm talking headhunting where we're just looking for somebody to blame. Uh, while this fallacy seems easy to point out and prevent, it's actually one of the trickiest because human brains are almost hardwired to look for patterns and once we see a pattern, we can latch onto it for the ease of cognitive processing and then when it takes hold in our brains, it can, be, it can give us so much comfort that we have some answer that having the right answer becomes inconsequential. Just remember that correlation does not equal causation. So try to look for the variables and question whether the variables could be the cause. This fallacy really requires you to be able to question your automatic responses, which in all honesty can be very tough to do, especially in the moment. Number eight, the anecdotal evidence fallacy. I think I'm safe in saying that we all fall for this one. I mean, I think we all fall for all of the fallacies at one point or another, but I think we fall for this one. fairly more common than some of the others, whether, you know, whether you're a leader or a follower, uh, this fallacy gets its claws dug in by relying on the personal experiences to substitute for situational evidence. Basically you only apply what you have been through and you disregard any variable that you don't have any personal experience with. Now, obviously there is more going on than one person can ever see or experience. So you have to, you know, be conscientious about how much stake you're putting in your experiences. That isn't to say your experiences don't matter. It just means that every situation must have some variety to account for as a you know potential variable. Where this one gets a bit dicey is when you keep having the same type of situations, you know, go through the same steps over and over. And I think this is what makes this one harder for, you know, older and more experienced folks in a work environment, you know, to deal with. For example, after so much time in the, same, in the same work environment and the same types of problems with leadership in certain positions occur, you just get to like this mindset that things will never change or that's just the way it is because history has taught you that that must be the case. Remember though that your personal experiences are just that your personal experiences and unless you know everything and can read the future you've got to be willing to give a little space you know for your automatic conclusions they don't they they may not automatically be right i'm not saying be naive and ignore your experiences just be willing to give a little grace to new situations and consider a new conclusion as possible You can certainly use your experiences to prevent future problems because you've seen certain things before. So you can use that info to help prevent certain outcomes, but you can't account for everything all the time with everyone. Number nine, the middle ground fallacy, right? This fallacy assumes that because compromising can be good, a middle ground must always be reached. This might seem a bit counterintuitive because just because there are two opposing views doesn't mean that they are both right. Sometimes there is a solid answer and holding back because someone doesn't like it can produce subpar results. Here is why critical thinking is so important along with communication. Sometimes you must be willing to compromise, but other times you can't. The only real way to know is if you have honest, open dialogue about situations and you get all the cards on the table. Whenever you're trying to solve a situation, you should look at who is involved, what is involved and what are the potential payoffs for the different courses of action and what are the potential downsides yes compromising can be useful but not always and that's the thing when it comes to critical thinking and logical fallacies you have to be willing to slow down and look at what are the consequences of certain you know uh, decisions here i'll give you an example i worked with a guy who was a constant problem Like to the point that we looked forward to him going on leave because that meant we got a break from his toxicity. It didn't matter how much we talked to leadership about him. They eventually became tone deaf to our complaints because their middle ground was, they they decided they need to have a middle ground and their middle ground was to keep him around, but to only have him do low threat tasks rather than hold him truly accountable. From their perspective, they thought having the Manning was better than not having it because we weren't going to get a replacement. You know, not, not, not anytime soon. From our perspective though, like we had to deal with the toxicity every day and we would have rather had less Manning because we were already covering for him on all the stressful stuff, as well as just having to deal with his general toxicity every day. He just didn't like his job. He didn't like anything. So he made it everybody else's problem. The middle ground looked real pretty to the people who didn't have to deal with it but the reality was that it wasn't the right option and it created more problems for the whole team and made us all feel like our discomfort didn't matter. So in trying to find a compromise you created more problems than actually going with a solid solution. I'm not trying to fall into the anecdotal fallacy here. Um, I'm just trying to give an example of of this fallacy kind of in work or, you know, just a general example. Um, As far as countering this one, it's kind of like the others. Slow down the conversation and point out the cost and benefit to certain decisions. Sometimes you can make concessions and other times you can't. Again, nothing is in black and white or black or white, I should say. Number 10. Ah, yes. The burden of proof fallacy. Oh, this one's so much fun to deal with. Sarcasm. Okay. This one is when someone makes a claim that XYZ is true, but they refuse to provide any proof to justify their position. A claim is not inherently true unless somebody disproves it, right? If you make a claim, it is on you to prove the claim. Also, You can't claim that X, Y, and Z is true because X, Y, and Z can't be proven false. Those are logical gymnastics and they're manipulation tactics that are used to make the presenter sound smarter than they actually are. And it often preys on the ignorance of people as a justification for the the original person's argument. Often you find this fallacy when someone feels that something is right or when someone wants something to be right, but they don't have any evidence to support or justify their position. Now, I say all this and I want to throw in that people are free to have their opinions and whatnot. The problem is when those opinions are forced on others, especially when it is being done by those with power and authority. This is when problems occur and it is in those instances that it cannot be tolerated. This is a really important fallacy right now in our world and the best way to handle it is to stick to trying to get to the other party to provide the proof right? Call out the aversions. And most importantly, do not get dragged off track by personal attacks, which I'll talk about later. When you find people who live and breathe this fallacy, as some people do, as soon as you basically back them into a corner, they will either try to manipulate the conversation in their favor, or they'll try to move to a new topic, or they will become aggressive and attack you. Stay calm, stay neutral, and like in Star Wars, stay on target. Stay on the argument. Don't you know, if you're trying to come to a real solution and you're trying to get to a conclusion, stay on target. Don't let the conversation degrade because then it just becomes an emotional screaming match and nothing gets solved. And it's just a waste of time. Hence the power of logical fallacies. A lot of wasted effort. Number 11, the personal incredulity fallacy. Oh man, this one makes me laugh sometimes. And I feel like it's happening more and more nowadays. I don't know what's going on, but this one is all over the place. This fallacy is basically when someone's lack of understanding of your position makes you wrong or to kind of put it another way. Their ignorance is just as valid as your fact or your ignorance does not equal or beat another person's fact. It's quite an irritating discussion if you've ever had one. I feel like this one comes up when one party, let's say less knowledgeable right on a topic they realize that they don't have all of the info that the other person has and as a result their ego gets hurt they become defensive and voila instead of improving their knowledge or increasing their knowledge they double down on their conviction hoping that if they say the same thing enough times or if they say it loud enough it will make it just as valid as fact yeah definitely irritating but i want to try and re- i want you to try and remember something when you're having a debate or a discussion or an argument, you know, I know those words have a lot of negative connotation, but when you're having a debate, it stands to reason that both parties are trying to find an answer and dare I say the right answer. And sometimes all that is needed is to level the playing field in terms of available information. If you have more info than your opposite, you should want them to know what you know so that you can hopefully either A, they'll see your point or B, They have info to help correct your point. Some people get so stuck on feeling right that they don't care if they actually are right. I'm a loud person with my views, my conclusions, my opinions, right? I try not to be rude or disrespectful, but I want to find the truth about things. So unless I can back up what I say, I usually don't say anything because I don't want to come off as stupid and I don't want to be stupid. At the same time, I want someone to correct me. If my math is off, show me. And that's why this fallacy gets to me personally. Because I love to debate, but I can't stand when someone challenges my fact with their feelings. Your feelings do not make you right. You cannot like a you can like you cannot like a conclusion all you want. You can like a conclusion all you want. It's whatever. I, I often don't like the conclusions that I research or that I find. That doesn't invalidate them. And you wanting something to be picture perfect doesn't make it real. So going back to how you resolve this fallacy, start with evening the playing field. Put all the cards on the table, you know, what? who knows what, even the playing field. And then have a discussion with both parties having all the same info being used. Work together through the info and come to a well-informed conclusion together. But don't get arrogant because someone doesn't have all of your facts or don't get defensive because somebody else has more information than you do. Drown that ego, amigo, and instead move forward with the intent to find truth together. This is definitely one of those fallacies that you may need to just walk away from though because some people, they they just can't handle their feelings being challenged and it's just not worth it. You know, sometimes you just got to know when to walk away. Last and certainly not least, the grand champion fallacy, at least to me. Ladies and gentlemen... Boys and girls, let's get ready to rumble! This fallacy weighs in at umpteen million wasted arguments, debates, and discussions coming to us originally from ancient Greece, but was revived by John Locke in the 17th century. It is the heavyweight champion fallacy of the world! Ad hominem! Sorry, hopefully I didn't blow out your speakers. All right, seriously, this has got to be the most painful, damaging, degrading, and annoying fallacy of them all, at least to me. Like maybe one of the other one gets to you, but this is the one that just, uh, oh, drives me nuts. The ad hominem is when someone is attacked personally rather than having their argument countered. This includes attacking somebody's like their appearance, their age, their background, or other irrelevant characteristics in the hopes that if you degrade the person, their argument will also be diminished. My primary professional field is in mental health, right? It's what what I go to college for. It's what I do for a living, you know, all that stuff. So a lot of my efforts go into that realm because it's something that I professionally, but also personally am invested in. And it amazes me that sometimes when I discuss topics or information in my field of speciality, an opposing side will say things like, you know, well, you would say that, you know, your mental health or You know, you would think that you're only, you know, you're only 30 years old. Or my personal favorite, yeah, well, come talk to me when you blah, blah, blah. Rather than refute the argument or present a counter argument opposing my own, they attack me, the person. And if you really want to see this happen, look back at political debates in just the last few years and you'll see it all over the place. Like I said, this is when you attack the person rather than attack the argument the words ad hominem mean against the man. So this relies heavily on humiliating or degrading the person to draw attention away from the fact that the opposing side doesn't really have an actual argument to use as a counter. You know, a lot of lawyers also use this tactic to sway opinion of jurors and whatnot. So this is why I consider this the grand champ of the fallacies because it's used constantly. And it can be so tempting to listen to that we often don't realize it's a manipulation tactic against real truth. Like a lot of the other fallacies, the best response, if you find yourself on the receiving end of this, is to address it without getting defensive. Call it out for what it is and draw attention back to the actual argument. The more an opponent tries to dig into ad hominem and attack you versus the argument, you dig in and drag the attention back to where it needs to be. The actual argument. What can end up happening is the opponent will panic because they can't manipulate you and they end up drowning in their own illogical quicksand. Or supporters for of theirs, they begin to see that, in, that, in, that a sufficient counter hasn't really been presented, which causes the manipulation against the supporters to falter. A real boss move with ad hominem is when you completely ignore their goading and you just press your argument. Like you don't even draw attention at all to the fact that they're doing it to you. And it just, it, if you've ever done it, you know what I'm talking about? Like the people that use that hominem get really irritated and then they get flustered and then they end up, you know, their argument just falls to pieces, which, you know, I'm not trying to win or lose, just trying to get to a conclusion, trying to find truth. Don't let misdirection tactics drag you down. So there you go. 12 of the more common logical fallacies. Again, my opinion of the 12 more common. Um, You may have experience with different ones and that's okay. I just wanted to give an example. You know, there are way more than 12, but I try to keep this recording to a reasonable time frame. So I hope you enjoyed listening and, you know, learning about them and I encourage you to educate yourself more about them um, on your own so that you can improve your own ability in presenting your positions and arguments and debates, but also so you don't fall victim to them and they end up getting used against you. The power of logical fallacies is their ease of which they are used and how easily people can fall prey to them. They are a type of manipulation tactic. You're either trying to manipulate the information or you're trying to manipulate the audience. They are so simple to succumb to that it can often be hard to recognize them for what they are. And it's even harder to acknowledge that you have fallen prey to one of them if they've been used against you. And I assure you. You have. We all have. We've all used them as well. So just keep that in mind. Uh, we all use them, but by knowing about them and by remembering why we are debating, discussing, arguing, whatever you want to call it, you can learn to communicate and critically think better and communicate better and work better together and ultimately, hopefully, come to better conclusions without them hanging over you or misdirecting your efforts. Just remember, for all the fallacies, do your best, remain calm, remain composed, try to be respectful, and listen to what is being said, even if the other person isn't giving you that same courtesy. Uh, Quite often, it's it's not uncommon for logical fallacies to be used as as a defense mechanism because somebody's ego has been affected or they're worried how they're going to be perceived, so they end up relying on them to manipulate the conversation don't get dragged down to the other person's level. It really doesn't do anything other than aggravate the situation or complicate it, which often compromises your own integrity. And it might soothe your own ego, but that shouldn't be the goal. The goal of the problem solving process of debating and arguing and discussing is coming up with the best answer or you know, the, the true answer. Logical fallacies are often used as manipulation tactics that to gain footing and make irrelevant arguments appear as a true one. So just be careful. Again, want to throw a special thanks out to my old co-worker Crawley for giving me this topic idea. I hope I lived up to your expectations, my man. You asked for it. I here you go. I hope you like it. As always, thank you for listening and please share this out to your friends, your coworkers, family, whoever you think might get something out of it. And please drop me a like or a follow, you know, to get updates on any of my new posts on whatever platform you're listening to this on. I do try to post each Sunday, but you know, sometimes life just gets in the way. Uh, Every download and listen really helps the channel and you can find me on Twitter at the letter C underscore the underscore bull underscore ski if you want to leave me a like or comment about what you thought of this recording or any of my other sessions. As always I hope you have a great week and I will check you out next time.